<laughs> I have a little survey I'd like to take. Raise your hand if the Christian life, you're finding the Christian life easy. Let me repeat that. Is the Christian life easy? Oh, wow. It's impossible, isn't it? (laughs) Sometimes it's impossible because we try our best to live it. Let that sink in for a bit. You're trying to live your Christian life and you're trying to live by the rules and come up to the standards of what people have said a Christian ought to be? Or do you have a real living experience with God where He is directing your life? See, we can so simply, so easily slip into the do's and don'ts And we think that that is the Christian life. And it definitely is not. Over the period of time that I've been here, there were a couple of messages that I gave. Well, let's back up. Today's message is on with Christ. What does it mean to be with Christ? But I gave some other messages. In the summertime that you would think, well, I don't know how this works out. This is kind of impossible. I don't understand it. And I'm not sure if I was able to help you understand it, but if you need to find out, I think the messages might still be online. But we have a supernatural life, those of us that are believers. Because here's a couple of things that I spoke about during the summertime. And when we were out in the tent, we had that sign up. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. In one of my messages, I explained what happens with that, that God himself places us into Christ so that when Christ died, we died with him. When he was buried, we were buried with him. When he was raised, we were raised with him. But we might think of that as just a concept. How does it actually work? Is it possible? And the other one is from Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. First of all, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. Who did the crucifying? We can't crucify ourselves. If we could... And get one hand up, we can't get the other one up. So it's not our job to try and crucify ourselves. God is the one that does that. So when the first one here, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, simply is God's means of separating us from who we were born of Adam, prior to our salvation experience. We've been placed into Christ so that we have died to that old life. Christ has come to live within us, lives in me, because 
Christ in me is the hope of glory. Impossible. How do you explain it? One we're going to look at today is our being with Christ. God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up together and made us to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And you look around your life and you're thinking, it sure doesn't look like heaven to me. Another thing that's impossible. But the fact is, it's true of a believer. God has placed us into Christ. Christ has come to live inside of us. And Paul's now saying, you're with Christ in the heavens. But we look at our lives and we say, this is impossible. How is it possible? Is there any way in which we can prove this? I want you to think for a minute. For instance, if I was to ask you, are you saved? That means to say that you've come to God, you've confessed your sins to God, you've asked for his forgiveness, and you know that your sins are forgiven. Prove it. Prove it to me. Did you get a piece of paper? Did you get a certificate that says, Dave's sins have been forgiven, and let me get out my certificate and I'll show you. God gave me the certificate. He didn't give you one, did he? Do you have any kind of a proof of the fact that God has put you into Christ or that Christ is in you? Prove it. This comes down to one thing that's basic to Christianity. And it's a scripture, unfortunately, that I forget so many times. And that is because I'm looking horizontally and I'm seeing failure in myself. I'm seeing failure in others. I'm seeing evil increasing in the world. How am I supposed to live in such a situation? And we've forgotten a scripture. Very, very simple scripture. We walk by faith. Not by sight. If you have a question as to whether you're really saved or not, how do you prove it? Well, for one, we walk by faith, not by sight. The writer to the Hebrews explains this in chapter 11, that chapter of those that have gone before and had great faith. And he says this from the Amplified Version. I think it helps. Faith is the assurance, the title deed, confirmation of things hoped for. Things that are divinely guaranteed and the evidence of things not seen. The conviction of their reality. Faith comprehends as fact what cannot be expressed by the physical senses. These things that we've discussed, Christ in us, us in Christ, and now we are with Christ in heavenly places is only something that we can grasp and enjoy and know it is true by faith. What kind of a proof do we need 
to know that our sins are forgiven, apart from the fact that God has given us the faith. Faith is not a feeling. What kind of an illustration could we look at that says that? Well, for instance, if anybody's traveled by plane, and I've traveled by plane, if you ask me, how does that work? I mean, we've got gravity. How does it all work? I don't know. I don't know. I can't explain it to you. I'm not an aeronautical engineer. All I know is that it's true. Therefore, when I can step on a plane, I have faith in the fact it's going to take off and it's going to go from here to Holland. I've got to say Holland because that's the majority here. But I have faith in the fact that it'll take me there. Likewise with the believer's life. We have faith in something that we know is real, and yet at the present time we can't see it as being real. We are seated in the heavenlies in Christ, but when I look horizontally, I don't understand and I don't see it until I look vertically. And when I see Christ and I know again by faith that he is there seated at the Father's right hand, whatever he has communicated to me All I simply need to do is believe it by faith. Now there will be evidence of the fact that Jesus is living in me and living in you. Your life will be different. And I know having spoken to some here that have been saved within the last two to three years, they'd say, well, if you knew my life two or three years ago, it's totally different. How long for you, Corey? Ten? Thirteen years. And it it astounds me, because I was thinking of this this morning, Corey, and I was thinking of you, but I was thinking of my buddy. He was 58 when he got saved. And I have had the privilege of being able to follow the lives of those who've gotten saved. And the work of God to transform a life has, for me, been thrilling just to observe. But as time goes on, we go through the rough patches in life, And we have to come back to the fact we walk by faith, not by sight. We want to have something tangible to hang on to. God has not given us something tangible to hang on to. He's given us faith, and that faith is in Jesus Christ. If we don't have a life that's focused on Jesus Christ, when the difficult times come, we tend to fail and we likely will fail. And we think we need to have our, strength, faith, our faith strengthened. No, Jesus says, if you've got faith as a grain of mustard seed, say to this tree, be cast into the sea. We have the faith because God gave it to us. It's his faith. Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. But now we have to exercise that faith in believing. This is the Lord's Prayer from John 17. This was Jesus' ultimate desire for his disciples, and not only his disciples, but for those of us that have not seen him and yet have believed. And he says this in John 17. And I'm always amazed to think that John probably wrote his gospel. It could even be in the, some think in the 90s A.D., 
Whatever the case, he was one of the last to write his Gospels, and he's remembering, or the Holy Spirit's bringing back to his memory, he must have heard this prayer of Jesus. There's no possible way that he could have memorized it and stored that for that many years. So I'm sure that the Holy Spirit brought this back to John's memory, and this is what he, he records that Jesus said. Father, as to those whom you have given me, that is, those who believe through the disciples' preaching, I desire that where I am they also may be with me, that they may behold my glory which you gave me, for you, gave, you loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus says, Father, I want them to be with me. Where I am, they might be able to behold my glory. And that glory of his was there even before the foundation of the world. Imagine the immensity of what that must be like to be able to see Jesus. In all his glory, we see it now by faith. One day, we will see it actually. But John records that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, the glories of an only begotten with the Father full of grace and truth. What would that have been like? Here was Jesus in flesh and blood and the disciples and John records that we beheld his glory and that glory was like a father with his only begotten son. There's something special about that. Something special. And John says, we actually looked at it. And we saw him. We walked with him. Our hands handled. They gave him a hug. They actually saw this. And they were taken in by the glory. But that was for the disciples. What about us? So Paul records in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. All we with unveiled face. You see, when a soul turns to God for salvation... That veil is taken away that prevents them from seeing through to that glory. And that reference in particular to Israel, because the law was there, and as long as the law was in front of them, it prevented them from seeing the glory. But when the veil is taken away, then they can see clearly. But we're here. Paul says, as looking in a mirror. When you look in the mirror, what do you see? You see your own reflection. We were created in the image and the likeness of God. That's what you're looking at. But the changed life, also what you're looking at is Jesus Christ living in you. You may not recognize it. You may put yourself down. I don't measure up. But the fact of the matter is, Jesus is in you. The glory that is in him is being reflected through you to the world around you. That's what makes the difference. People see us as somebody different. 
I remember the morning that we went to London after my wife had been diagnosed with brain tumors. And the doctor there was basically giving us the official narrative that it was stage four cancer. And uh, so he told us, this is terminal. We said, yeah, all right, we're well aware of it. But we're okay, it's okay. Whichever way it goes, if she can be healed, we're on board with that. If not, it's okay. Imagine, the doctor looked at us and he says, you must have been already talking about this. And yes, we were okay with this. So my wife quoted some verses. Uh, what is it? Something about a merry heart makes glad. I can't remember the quotation from the Old Testament. You see, there's something different about us. Because inside of us, we have Jesus Christ. We cannot help but shine forth the glory to the world. How else is the world going to get to see Jesus if it's not through us? It's not going to see it any other way. So, this is still by faith. Can you show me if I go and stand with you in front of the mirror and you say, see? Do you see Jesus? I think, well, I think you've got a screw loose somewhere. But it's a fact. Peter writes, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which, you, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings for when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. There is coming a day, and for those of us that are believers looking for that day, when his glory will be revealed from heaven, and every eye shall see him, and those who have pierced him, and they will wail for him as for an only son. He's coming back in all his glory, no longer as the savior of sinners, but the one in his majesty as king of kings and lord of lords is coming back to rule this earth and every eye shall see him. We have this hope before us. So where is your life? Paul writes, if then you were raised with Christ and we enter into this by faith, Seek those things which above, where Christ is seating, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things in the earth. For you died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Nobody can take that away from you. Your life that you received at salvation is absolutely secure because it's in Christ. You are with him and it's in God. It couldn't be any more secure than that. You died. If you acknowledge the fact that you have died with Christ, you then know that your life is hidden with Christ in God. That in itself will help you when it comes to the difficult things that we have to go through in life. If we realize that this is the case, my life is secure in Christ no matter what happens. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. 
That's future tense. We're looking forward to that day. When he appears, we will be with him. We're coming back with Christ to reign over the world. Paul says, don't you know that someday you're going to judge angels? There's a hierarchy. On account of the sufferings of death, Jesus Christ became a man, became a little lower than the angels. Mankind is a little lower than the angels. But those of us that have come to salvation one day are going to be above the angels. And we will be in a position where we judge angels. I hope this opens up our expansive, expands our minds a little bit to know what lies ahead. And this is one that I can identify with. Paul desired to be with Christ. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh for this, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose I cannot tell. For I'm hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart to be with Christ, which is far better, nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. Maybe it's age. But the older I get, if this was the day that I was to go to be with Christ, I'm happy. God has been faithful. Regardless of what I've had to go through in life, God has been faithful. And because of my trust in him, I can look forward to this being with Christ. And one day, as we were singing face to face. So we're going to move one day from faith reality. Section out of Roman, or Revelation chapter 17, these ten kings will make war with the Lamb and the Lamb will overcome them. For he is Lord of lords and King of kings and those who are with him are called, chosen, faithful. That's us. That's us. Those who are with him. And we looked at this, and I had a message on the letter to the church at Laodicea. And this is the promise to those that overcome in that church, to him who overcomes. I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also have overcome and sat down with my father on his throne. Jesus at the present time is sitting with his father on his throne. It's coming a day. When he's going to sit on his own throne. And he has promised those of us that overcome this lukewarm condition that's prevalent in the church today. That we, he has granted us to sit with him on his throne. We can't see it right now. This is where faith comes in. And it's as sure as what it says. We will. This is God's promise. Let's have a look at Enoch and Noah. Because this is an area in which I think we need to make this practical. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. 
It says of Noah, Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations, Noah walked with God. Need to be reminded of this verse? John chapter 6, from that time, many of Jesus' own disciples went back and walked no more with him. How sad that must have been. They were with him from day to day. They followed him wherever he went. They heard his words. But as soon as he said, my flesh is truly food and my blood is truly drink, they turned away. It didn't fit their paradigm. What he was saying was, your life is wrapped up in mine. Your food is me. They did not want him. Which is exactly what Israel did in the desert. They loathed the manna that God had given them. He gave them angels food. And they loathed it. And death came into the camp. Until Moses put the brazen serpent up on a pole, and when they looked, they lived. Jesus has been lifted up out of the earth, he says, and when I am, all men, they'll look to me, and they'll be healed, they'll be saved. Are we walking with God today? There have been many times in my life when I've become so discouraged that I would have to say no. That I wasn't walking with God. So what does it look like when we walk with God? This is where the rubber meets the road. You see, in the Christian life, it's possible for us to be saved, and yet we have our own agenda which is no different than who we were before we were saved. That's according to Adam. I want to impress this upon you today because this is going to be vital for you in the days ahead. You must, you must spend time in the presence of God to find out where he's going. Enoch and Noah walked with God. We are to walk with Christ, which means we're not the ones making the decision. We need to find out what he's doing and what his mind is, and we follow. And in the Christian life, if perchance I was pastoring this church, which I'm not, thankfully, I have a responsibility to find out from God what this congregation needs. I haven't got a clue what you need. And each of you have different needs. We as believers, no matter what level we might consider each other, standing up here is no better than somebody sitting down there. God's given us all gifts. But each of us needs to find out if we're going to walk with God what is God doing? I don't make the decisions. Which reminds me, 
This would be back in the 90s, not long after I was on the internet, which was probably 91 or, well, 91 or 2, I was first on the internet. I would get emails in which I could download a message. You realize that? I mean, today, it's got to be out there. I haven't seen it recently, and I wouldn't bother. But you could download a message and read it off this morning. And where's the Holy Spirit in that? Where's that walking with God bit? Is that lacking? We need to be before God, each and every one of us, to know exactly where we're going. But so often we're not prepared to take the time to wait and listen. Listen. And if you don't get an answer, keep going back. One of the things I've learned through life is if I'm not sure and I'm seeking God's direction and I don't have an answer, I stand still. I will not move forward for fear of the fact that this might be Dave's idea, not God's. I facilitated a study at least a half a dozen times. I know that some of you, I think Adrian would recognize it. Henry Blackaby, it was entitled Knowing and Doing the Will of God. This was a pastor that had gone to Saskatoon and started a church there, and he came up against severe opposition from other churches within Saskatoon, and they took out a full-page ad in the newspaper to try and discourage people from attending his church. And one time he was asked, Henry, so do you plan ahead? You plan your messages ahead? Do you plan things for the church ahead? And I'll never forget it. And I met him personally a few times. He says, I am too afraid to do that. I'm too afraid that what I have decided to do may not be what God wants. And let me remind you, there are rewards that will be given out. And Paul says, see how you build, whether it's gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, stubble. The wood, hay, stubble is going to be burnt up. That's what we did in our own effort. And we'd sign at the bottom, Jesus Christ. And it wasn't him that directed it at all. What we do under our own efforts will come to nothing, if not now, in a day of reckoning. Watch how you build. When you build, people will be encouraged and people will be built up. People will now be concerned to walk with the Lord. There's nothing greater, I don't think, that we can do but to point people to Jesus. He is the only answer. If we think that we can do it on our, on our own schedule, our own ideas, here's what Jesus said, if anyone serves me, he must continue to faithfully follow me without hesitation, holding steadfastly to me, 
conforming to my example in living and, if need be, suffering or perhaps dying because of faith in me. And here's what Jesus says of himself. The Son, Jesus said, the Son can do nothing of himself. But what he sees the Father do, for whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. How dare we think that we can do it alone? Jesus says the Son can do nothing unless he hears his Father. Is that your utmost desire is to hear from God, to know the direction he's taken you? Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Without me, you can do nothing. That doesn't mean to say we don't try. But we need to get it through our minds. Without Christ, we can do nothing. 